You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. How many times trouble could have been avoided if we'd have just taken the time out to pray ourselves for God's guidance? But we say, well, it looks so good. It looks so natural. It looks so obvious. You know, I only seek God on the difficult things, the big things. I mean, I don't want to bother him with the little things, but you know what I found out? You got to be really careful about the little things because it's the little things that at times will wipe you out. It's so common for people to judge the easiness or difficulty of a situation only by what you can see. Especially when you faced a similar thing before, the tendency is to think, I got this, easy peasy. Joshua thought that when going against the city of A. After all, God had given them a great victory at Jericho, and A was way smaller than Jericho. But as you'll hear in Pastor Mike's teaching today, appearances can be deceiving. And when you don't seek God's advice in everything, failure's around the corner. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 24 as he continues his message, Being Led by God. And then the result of our own schemes, our own plans, the outcome, we get into a horrible mess. And then we begin to blame God. God, why did you let me? God, why did you allow me? And by the way, he's still standing there with the one eyebrow raised. And he's saying, are you kidding me? You didn't ask me. You didn't seek my advice. One of the most pronounced examples of this may be Joshua, and after they crossed over the Jordan and finally entered into the land of Canaan, and remember, the first city of conquest was the city of Jericho, and God gave them the blueprint, the battle plans, the way that they were to go about taking that city. Remember, they were to walk around it the seven times, the trumpets, the priests, and God had given the whole blueprint in the way that they were going to take the city. They were going to blow the trumpets, they were going to shout, and the walls were going to fall down flat, and that's exactly what happened. And then Israel took that city of conquest. That was the first city of conquest after they entered into the land of Canaan, the city of Jericho. What was the second city that they were supposed to take? The city of Ai. What happened at Ai? They got smoked, right? They got beaten, and they got beaten pretty bad. Why was that? Because they didn't take the time out to pray and ask God's direction. God's leading, God's blueprint. If they would have, what would they have found out? That Achan 
one of the Israelites had taken of the accursed thing. You know, when they took the city of Jericho, there was a lot of booty that they took along with it, the spoils of the warfare, of their victory, which was supposed to be placed in the treasury that eventually was to be used to build the temple in the city of Jerusalem. God knew what he was going to do with that money. And they weren't supposed to mess with it. They weren't supposed to touch it. But what happened is this guy Achan, who was a part of the battle in Jericho, took some of the spoil and he hid it in his tent. And because of that sin, that was the very reason why they were defeated there at the next city of conquest in the city of Ai. And if they would have just taken the time out to pray and seek God's direction, God would have told Joshua what Achan had did. But he didn't pray. And so therefore, they were soundly defeated the first time that they went up to Ai. They only dispatched, what was it, like 3,000 men, I think it was, rather than the entire armies of Israel. But anyway, they were soundly defeated. So anyway, I, I think Joshua there at the city of Ai, is actually probably one of the most pronounced examples of this. Flush with victory, they had just taken the city of Jericho, but they failed to pray, to seek God's leading, and thus they were defeated at Ai. Now, how many times trouble could have been avoided if we'd have just taken the time out to pray ourselves for God's guidance. But we say, well, it looks so good. It looks so natural. It looks so obvious. You know, I only see God on the difficult things, the big things. I mean, I don't want to bother him with the little things. But you know what I found out? You got to be really careful about the little things because it's the little things that at times will wipe you out. Don't have that kind of a mindset. Let's go back to Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 6. It says, in all of thy ways, not in some of thy ways, but it says, in all of thy ways acknowledge him, and then he shall direct your path. Not in some of your ways, but in all of your ways. Now, let's go back to the prayer because I think this is important as well. I want you to notice the stipulations the servant mentions in his prayers there in verse 14. And there are three of them. And the stipulations would fall into these categories. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Reasonable, difficult, but not totally absurd. You see that? So it is possible then that some energetic, gracious young girl would fill the trough for the camels. In fact, remember, as we read in our opening, verses 15 through 20, all of a sudden, out of nowhere comes this woman, Rebecca, and she fills to the very letter the prayer request that the servant had made before God. Okay, so how does this relate to you and to me? And so many times when I'm praying, likewise, I need to set certain stipulations upon the Lord. Reasonable, difficult, but not absurd. You say, wait a minute, Michael, what are we talking about here? Testing God? No. Think about this. Let me give you an example of this. Let's say, for example, you're faced with a change of location. Maybe you've been thinking about, you've been pondering a change of location. Maybe you're thinking about moving out to California or to Canada or wherever. You're considering 
a change of location. Okay, so bring it before the Lord and just simply, Lord, if you want me to move there, the stipulations, then lay these stipulations upon him, reasonable, difficult, but not absurd. Okay, what would they be? Lord, if you want me to move there, make sure that when I get there, there's a church that's very similar to the church that I've been attending at Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, where you've been working your work in my life, perfecting that work, where I've grown in my walk and my relationship with the Lord, where I've gained a new appreciation for your word, where your word has been opened up to me like never before. God, you know, this has to be a priority. This is an important stipulation. You don't want to go to a place where there's no, I mean, what good would it be? If you go to a place that's happening, you know, some, some new exciting place where the young and the hip are hanging out and, you know, some new thing going on, like in Seattle or, or you know, some of these new hipster places, Brooklyn or whatever, okay? And uh, Ronnie will tell you he's a hipster. He lives in Brooklyn. And, uh, right? But if there's no church that's equal to the church where you've been attending, where God has been moving and working in your life like never before, or how about a job? How important is that? You know, God has been providing for you here in New York City. And you're thinking about moving to Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Okay, well, is this the Lord's leading? Well, how about interviewing in advance? How about going up there to see, checking out if there are any job prospects for you in advance? The promise and the prospect of a job. Maybe someone even offering you a job. How is that going to affect you and your family in providing for their needs? Money. That's a big issue. Okay? How about this one? Lord, if you want me to change careers, make a career change. Well, how is that going to affect you? You need to think about that as well. Is your career change, a new place of employment, is it going to free you up to spend more time with God to spend more time with your family, well, then those are very positive things. And it's a stipulation that you put before the Lord in advance, before you're moving out there without having those questions answered. So you set a standard that is reasonable, difficult, but not absurd to allow God to lead you. Does that make any sense? I'm not talking about testing God here. And I'm not talking about fleeces either. If you notice, there's no New Testament fleeces in the Bible. It's an Old Testament concept. And so he prayed, he set a stipulation, and then he waited for God to confirm and to move. So, take that time out to pray. Seek the Lord for his leading through prayer. Okay, that brings us to our fourth and our final condition, and it's found in verse 27. Notice what it says. I, being in the way, the Lord led me. And there's another key for us. In other words, and this is our fourth condition, get moving. Get moving. Have you heard the expression? You probably may have even heard me use it before. It's hard to steer a car that is parked. And that's true. I didn't come up with that. I robbed that. But it's so very, very true. It's hard to steer a car that's parked. And there are some people who are parked, who are stuck in neutral. They're asking God to lead them, but there's no movement. you got to start moving. And then he will begin to direct you. I get a kick out of those people who tell me 
And by the way, these people aren't here anymore because it doesn't work out like that. And, and these same people that I'm referring to, that I'm going to refer to in just a moment, after a while they're not comfortable and they, they eventually leave here because, you know, they were hoping that something would happen, but it hasn't happened and so off they go. So this doesn't relate to any of you. I'm just using this as an example, okay? But I get a kick out of those people who tell me they're waiting on the Lord to give them a ministry. And so I respond and, ask, and usually ask them in turn this question. Well, okay, you're waiting on a ministry? Let me ask you this question. Are you teaching a Sunday school class? No. Have you volunteered to help out in the youth program? No. And then they'll respond by saying, well, I rather thought that God was going to use me to take over Billy Graham's ministry. And so I've been waiting for them to call me, but Franklin hasn't called me, you know, Billy's son. You see, God doesn't lead the still object. You get started laboring, helping, teaching, and then God leads you on and on in the development of your ministry and your calling, whatever that ministry and calling may be. And also your walk with him. Because he will never give you step two until you first of all taken step one. One of the classical examples of this has to be Philip in the book of Acts. Great character study whose life illustrates this truth. When we're first introduced to Philip in the book of Acts in chapter 6, he's one of the seven deacons that have been commissioned to wait on the widow's tables. And he was faithful in that occupation. But then next, we are introduced to Philip as an evangelist. He's been given the gift of evangelism, and then in chapter 8, he's being used by God. Remember the persecution that arose there in the city of Jerusalem, which forced the believers to flee into the uttermost parts of the world. God even used the persecution to that end to move the gospel forward. But then he's given the gift of evangelism in chapter 8 and as an evangelist, and he's used by God in a mighty way to bring revival to Samaria. Signs and wonders are accompanying his ministry. People are getting saved. People are getting healed. He's able to wrought these miracles. But then right in the middle of this revival taking place, and kudos to Philip, because i got to tell you something. If I was Philip, to be honest with you, I don't know if I would have responded the way that Philip did when God commanded him to leave Samaria and go out into the wilderness in Gaza with no explanation whatsoever. I mean, I would have been busy planting a church in Samaria. I would have been busy making sure that I was on the radio in my father's house, uh, publishing my own magazine or whatever. He experienced huge success. But right in the middle of this revival that God was using him in a miraculous way, God speaks to him. He says, I want you to leave this place, and I want you to go out into the wilderness, into the desert there in Gaza, without any explanation whatsoever. And you know what happened. He goes, but he must have been thinking, this can't be God. I mean, I'm the man of the hour here. I'm being used to get this revival going here. And what good would it be for me to leave 
to go out into, I mean, who am I going to preach to? The geckos, the lizards, the rattlesnakes? I mean, who, you know, who, there's no one out there in the middle of the wilderness and the desert. But he didn't ask why. He just went ahead and he took the second step and he joined himself to the Ethiopian eunuch who, when he found him, was standing up in his chariot and he had the scriptures open to the prophet Isaiah. And then it, was, it became his occupation to explain the prophetical word as was recorded there in Isaiah concerning Christ. And then he led him to Christ. Talk about the reward. Think about the reward, how cool this was. I would, have, I would have rather experienced this than lead a revival in Samaria and plant a church and get on the radio. But think about what happened. After he led the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ, and then he baptizes him in the water, what happened? The Bible tells us that he was caught up. And all of a sudden, he was transported to another location altogether. The Ethiopian came up out of the water, and Philip was gone. Could you imagine experiencing that, having that kind of an experience? Talk about a reward. So step two was now join yourself to this man one step at a time. That's the point. God wants us to walk by faith. And yes, it would be great if he revealed his whole plan to us all at once. But all he says to us often is, Mike, go to Gaza. I don't know why. It's the desert. There's nothing there. It doesn't seem practical. It doesn't even seem rational. Now, it's at this point you might say, well, I don't want to take step two and three. Because when I get to Gaza, it might not be what I was hoping for. Whoops. What do we need to do in that case? You got to go back to step one. What was step one? Commitment. Are you committed to do God's will? Committed to be led by the Spirit? When the Spirit leads, when God speaks to you, are you willing to obey? Someone would respond by saying, well, yes, as long as I like what's happening and what's he saying to me. But gang, that's not commitment, you see. It should be, as I mentioned before, sink or swim. I'm going to follow God. There's absolutely no alternatives. Lord, lead me no matter where or what the situation is. Because I realize that the only answer for life itself, I've got to be led by the Spirit of God. Because I'm smart enough to know now, after walking with the Lord for as long as I have, that anything else is worthless. Anything else is empty. Anything else is an exercise in futility, folks. That's it. Okay, so with that said, let's review, because I want to make sure that you got all of this. Let's go over quickly the four points, and then we're going to close this thing out. What do we need to do to make sure that we are led by God? Well, first of all, I stand out on a commitment to God, and then I take the Word of God, and I begin to study that word. Then I find the promise of God. I stand upon it. Then begin to pray and seek God to lead me step by step. And then I take each step God gives me. And while I'm on the way, I'm moving. And then God continues to lead and guide my life in the fulfilling of his plan and his purpose. And gang, let me tell you something. You'll never be sorry in doing this because it's the most exciting life to live. Because you never know what's going to happen. 
I can hardly wait for each new day to dawn to see what God has in store for me today. And i got to tell you something. Sometimes it's great, but sometimes it's extremely taxing as well. But nevertheless, God is there, and he lets me know that he's there. This has been a crazy week, Pastor Jose, right? We've gone through some real crazy stuff. So we got question marks even right now over our heads. Some things that we're dealing with, some issues and people and stuff. But we know that it's going to work out because God is with us. And we have the promise of God being with us. And so I can hardly wait for each new day to dawn to see what God has in store for me today. As he leads me step by step in his path. Let me leave you with one last thing, if I may. One verse of scripture. Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 11 in verses 28 and 29, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now, let me ask you, have you gone that far? I know most of you have at least responded to the first invitation, and you've come to Jesus Christ. That's the beginning. Let's say that's step one. Remember, God leads us in these steps. And as I look around the room, I'm almost positive that every one of you have made a decision for Christ. I believe that you are all Christians. So I would imagine that all of you have taken that first step. You've responded to the first invitation. You've come to Jesus Christ. That's the beginning. That's step one. But step two, I don't know if all of you have taken step two. Remember, in this exhortation, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. And remember, we've said many times before, the yoke was a steering device used to move the beasts of burden in the direction that the farmers wanted them to go in, to either plow the fields or turn the wheel, the grinding of the wheat or whatever, Step two is take my yoke upon you. In other words, turn over to him the reins of your life, that steering device, that he might begin to lead you and guide you into his plan. I mean, I hope you're not still trying to do your own thing. Wouldn't that be foolishness? Wouldn't that be folly? So I hope you're not still trying to do your own thing when you consider that this is one of the perks about being a Christian. Remember in some of the opening statements that I made, what a blessing it is to know that God is even willing and wanting to lead us, because that's where the blessings are. Listen, turn your future over to Him. Surrender yourself. Make that total commitment to Christ, to want to be led by Him and Him alone. Folks, that's the challenge of this message. Will you rise to that occasion? Will you rise to that challenge? Listen, you'll never regret it, making that choice. I guarantee it. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be. When something gets close to an ending, we naturally turn our attention to the beginning. When a child is about to graduate, we look at baby pictures. When a beloved spouse of many years grows close to death, we go over the story of how we met. When we pack up our stuff and move away from a house, we remember the first times we walked in the door. 
And as we draw close to the end of days, it seems only fitting to return to in the beginning. We can watch as light is created in land and sea and all the creatures, day and night in the sun and moon. And when we take a look at the glorious and amazing creation of the world, we can remember that it's the same God from the beginning who is ruling over the end. We can watch in awe, remembering that the end is also good news as we eagerly await His return. And here at In My Father's House, we're so glad you've decided to spend your day with us. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. It's easy to get here with access from Port Authority and Penn Station on 34th. We'd love to see you. Pop over to our website, harvestnyc.org, to find times and so much more. And if you feel compelled to partner with this ministry financially, there's a link for that as well. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. While you're there, take a look around to find additional audio, a link to our Vimeo and podcasts. That's all we have time for today. We've loved spending time with you, and we can't wait to meet up with you again. See you next time here in my father's house.